What's up, Dragonfly Nation? It's Chris Gilmore here from chrisoutdoors.ca and episode 34 of the Canadian Bushcraft Podcast, where we dive deep into the world of tracking and awareness. Some people think of bushcraft as a hobby from the past, but to me, it's a lifestyle and the skills and knowledge are as valuable and as relevant as ever as we navigate this crazy world that we live in. A foundational and often underestimated part of bushcraft and survival is being able to read the landscape and interpret the story being told in nature's tracks, signs, and sounds. Whether that's interpreting the weather based on the clouds or the activity of the birds and insects to know a storm's coming in, or being able to look at a string of tracks or a sign and tell the elaborate story of what happened there. Or it could be reading the landscape to know where to find a certain plant or a tree species that you need for a project or even for survival. So if you're interested in building your confidence, growing your self-reliance, or deepening your knowledge of nature and your connection to the land, Canadian Bushcraft and I may have a great next step for you. It's a training that we call Reading Nature's Forgotten Language, and it's all about helping you deepen your ability to interpret nature's story. We're offering Dragonfly Nation 20% off this training, so if you want to check it out, you can go watch the trailer as well as a few clips from inside the course at www.naturesforgottenlanguage.com. Again, go visit www.naturesforgottenlanguage.com and if you want to join us, enter coupon code DRAGONFLY for 20% off. Being able to read nature's forgotten language will increase your confidence, skills, and it's straight up a ton of fun. To know the landscape is to open up a door To feel deeper connected than you've ever felt before We know that you will love this podcast so shut your mouth and listen to canadian bushcraft hello dragonfly nation this is the canadian bushcraft podcast with your host caleb musgrave and we are here to talk to you about edc everyday carry what's in your pockets edc are the three letters that get survivalists preppers urban survival folk, bushcrafters, all excited, all hot and bothered. They love those three letters combined, EDC, whether it's my EDC bush knife or my EDC lighter or my EDC anything. They can kind of, it's kind of like the term bushcraft, how it's become kind of its own universe. And there's this, its own little gadgets and doohickeys they can pick up that are so EDC. And so today in this episode, we're going to break down what is everyday carry, what's the better options for you out there when it comes down to thinking about your everyday carry, not so much what gear to buy. I'm not going to give you, I'm, I'm not going to take too much time to name names or try to turn this into a, uh, a brand show or try to make this into marketing or anything else like that. We're going to mostly focus on your mindset around everyday carry. And I'll mention items you might want to have, but not necessarily brands of those items. Uh, I might mention what I carry. I probably will mention what I carry. I'm very happy to share what I carry with me all the time. Uh, but I don't want to dive too far into that. I don't want to get too stuck in the in the cogs of marketing. Okay, We're, We want to focus mostly on what should you be carrying from a more vague, open source concept. So that you can decide what knife do you want, what lighter, what fire making device you might want, what kind of power source you might want. Those are your choices to make. And so we're going to be diving into that kind of stuff. And we're also going to mention other places you can learn more about everyday carry. And also some mental exercises and some day-to-day -day exercises you can do 
to help you better understand what you should be carrying with you at all times for your lifestyle. So let's dive into this. So what in the hell is everyday carry? Everyday carry are the items that you carry on you every single day. These are the things that will always be on your person. They're not in a backpack. They're not in your car. They're not in your house. They're not in your canoe. They're on your person, either worn around your neck, worn on your wrist, worn around your waist, worn in your clothing. No matter how you carry it, as long as it's on your person, that and it's something you carry on a daily basis, that's your EDC. And so every single person out here who's listening has an EDC, even though they've not really looked at it as such. Maybe they never put a label on it. And that might be the best way to be. That might be the best way to live. Where does the term EDC or everyday carry start off? There's a lot of vague beliefs of like where the origins are, but mostly everyone's agreed that it started on some sort of forum or chat room. Everyday carry began somewhere on the internet, the concept of it, as many things do these days. Uh, everyday carry originated somewhere on a forum or a chat room or something like that amongst outdoors folk is the main guess of where it came from. So people like us, bushcrafters, may have been the sires or the parents of the term and the subculture that is EDC. And the reason for that is it was people asking about your gear. There's a, like, it's so weird. You go to almost any forum on bushcraft survival, preparation or preparedness, um, anything, anything in the outdoor realm, hunting, fishing, trapping, people love to talk about gear because it's a lot more easily accessible and digestible on an open forum. It's a lot harder to get into the subtle nuances of how to set a trap, build that specific type of shelter with this specific type of knot when I can't have you there with me showing you. Same reason why this podcast, as much as we try to avoid going too deep into being a gear podcast, we do have some gear episodes because it's a very easy thing to talk about and convey from me to you what to think about or what to look for. It's why we have another one right now that we're doing right now. So EDC started off from there and it kind of blew up and grew into its own beautiful subculture that many people are very obsessive about and some people are very heated about exactly what it must be and what you must have. And if you're carrying those kinds of things, you're a poser, just like any other subculture. You go to the metal scene, people the same way, punk rock scene, oh man. When the poser hunts begin, uh, begin, it is so uncomfortable to sit back and watch with your drink and laugh. It's so uncomfortable. Anyways, um, when it comes down to everyday carry, it really is a very personal choice. So don't worry too much about trying to not look like a poser. No matter what you're going to look like one to somebody, don't worry about it. That's life. Just be who you are and be as legitimate, uh, to you, uh, legitimate about who you are to yourself and to everyone outside of you. And that's the best you can do. And that's the number one lesson I always try to convey to anybody is be you. Learn to work with what you've got. Learn to love who you are and all that kind of beautiful stuff. But in the realm of EDC, it just comes down to what do you carry every day? I carry on me a wallet, keys, a knife, things like that. Those are things that you're going to have on you every day, almost anywhere you go, whether it's to your job, to the park, to the grocery store, to the convenience store, out for a walk with your kids, walking the dog, uh, fixing your uh, your truck or your car or your ATV or motorcycle in the driveway, uh, going to the neighbors for a barbecue, no matter what it may, well, we're not doing a lot of that these days, but any of those kinds of things, those kinds of ways of life, those daily living kinds of things, your lifestyle 
will determine your EDC. And so most of us can accept the fact that an everyday carry should be something that you can carry every day and every way. So chances are your everyday carry is not going to include a full tang belt knife. As, as someone who carries a belt knife on a regular basis, I can tell you that's not an everyday carry kind of thing because I can't walk into most stores and most banks and most grocery stores and most hospitals and have a knife on my hip. I, I've had it happen a couple of times, uh, depending on where I am. People were cool with it. People were not so cool with it. And so I quickly learned, hey, pocket knives are a little less, you know, aggressive, a little less, you know, intimidating. And so smaller, simpler, more refined looking pocket knives or folding knives or even discreet ones, not concealed. Can I make that very clear? We are in Canada. You don't have the right to have concealed weapons here. And the definition of weapon really does come down to the situation. And I'm not a lawyer. Talk to a lawyer about that. Uh, so make sure that if you're going to be carrying a small knife, it should be discreet, but not concealed. And it, and again, concealed comes down to, to intent and the definition of a weapon and all those kinds of things. One of my favorite knives out there is the Benchmade Ollie, simply because there's no way anyone I can think of could ever interpret that as a weapon. It is a sheep's foot blade with no point on it. It has no locking mechanism and is a friction folder, which means I try to stab something with that knife, it's closing on my fingers. So it's a very easy way to show if I had to do a pocket dump in front of a police officer for whatever reason, I feel confident knowing that they're not going to give me too much grief about that knife. They might ask me, why do you have that knife? And I'll just shrug. That's all I'm going to say to them. I'm not going to say a single, real, really a single word to them about it because that can start getting me in legal trouble. And you can check out articles and talk to lawyers about all this stuff. Please do. I am not a lawyer. Do not take me for legal advice. Uh, don't take any podcast for legal advice unless it's led by a lawyer who still has their license. Those are the people you want to be listening to regarding whether you're going to go to jail or not for stuff. But anyways, my everyday carrier, things that are going to be very simple, but things that are going to be really important for me on a daily basis. Uh, that's going to depend. That's not, that's the specific item I might put in there is not, is going to depend on where I'm going. I have multiple everyday carry options, but I'm always going to have one of each of these things. I'm always going to have certain tools on me, a certain piece of equipment. My cell phone is the first one that immediately is in my hand or in my pocket immediately. I have that as something I grab right off the charger in the morning, put it right in my pocket, make sure I have it with me. I can check conversations. I can communicate with people. I have emergency number access. I have a flashlight on there. There's a GPS in there. All that kind of beautiful stuff. So if there is, if there is any kind of emergency, the first thing I have on me is my cell phone. And I keep it charged and I pay my bills and I make sure that I have the best carrier uh, for my path, for my phone to have the best reception wherever I may be. So, and you can look into what kind of phones you want. I currently have, I believe it's a Google Pixel of one of the numbers. It's not more recent ones. It's an older one. Uh, but I've had Huawei's. I've had Caterpillar phone, the Cat S60, I believe it was the one that I loved. I, I had and I loved it. Uh, when it had a system failure, I was heartbroken because that thing was like, the everyday carry. It was the it was the working person's kind of phone. It was such a tough, rugged, durable, indestructible phone. And physically speaking, it never did break. It just uh, died because of system failure, which was the biggest issue with the Caterpillar brand of phones from Bullet uh, Bullet Technologies or Bullet Industries. Is their software is a little shoddy, 
and can cause problems later down the road. Cool phone. Amazing phone. I loved it. Still love it. Wish I had it still. But uh, nonetheless, I'm here with a cheaper, older model Google phone. Because why not? But it's phone. Uh, the phone works real well. The flashlight works real well. Everything that's on it does enough for what I need. It's not my favorite phone in the world, but it's the phone I got, and that's fine by me. Uh, so that's the first thing that I'm going to be thinking about when I get up in the morning. Where's my phone? Where's my wallet? And then what's in my wallet? I've got money, cash, but also debit cards and whatever. I have my identification in there, but I may also have things, like physical things that I can tuck into that wallet, depending on what the type of wallet is. And some people go all out and they'll get these minimalist wallets that can either be made of leather or made of uh, uh, carbon fiber, made of a Kevlar, made of a Kydex. G uh, I've even seen ones made of G10 and a few other funky little designs. Ones that may have titanium, steel, aluminum, and then there's even hybrids where they have leather in with titanium and steel with Kydex and all these other crazy combinations. And those wallets are just going to carry your cards with maybe a billfold on it, and maybe you can carry something else on it. Maybe there might even be a gadget or a doohickey on it of some sort that you can use. And now it's really EDC because you got tools on it. Cool. Mine's a simple leather wallet that's RFID proof. It's a RFID protective wallet, and that's really all I care about. I want to protect my cards. I want to protect myself from identity theft. And therefore, I carry a wallet that protects me from those potential risks. Um, yeah, and I carry it in places that are not the usual places that people carry their wallet. I don't carry it usually in my back pocket or in my breast pocket. So it's going to be less likely somebody walking by with one of those readers is going to bump the right spot and get my information, even if I didn't have it in an RFID wallet. But nonetheless, um, you need to kind of figure out what you're going to need. So for me, again, phone, wallet, what else am I going to have on me? I'm probably going to have a lighter. Um, I'm sure some of you have heard us light cigarettes or light a pipe. Uh, during the podcast in the past, or light, uh, light up candles uh, down here, because sometimes it gets kind of funky when we've been down here for days on end, recording um, in a marathon style, because we're trying to get as much content done ahead of time, so we don't have to rush around and risk our, uh, rush around and stress ourselves out later. So we rush around and stress ourselves currently kind of thing. But yeah, you hear me, like, here's a lighter. Got another lighter right here. There we go. All those kinds of tools are with me. I carry lighters all the time. Some people carry ferro rods or uh, ferro-serum rods or strike lights or whatever you want to call them. Um, strike lights are more flint and steel, traditional flint and steel with an actual steel striker and a shard of stone of some sort. Um, but a ferro rod or metal match, whatever you want to call them, a sparking rod, yeah, carry those. They're great, dependable, durable tools. There's nothing wrong with carrying one of those for fire. But I'm thinking more about like how do you start the game of like what do you carry? So the easiest way to know how to get into everyday carry is look at what you're already carrying every day. Take your coat apart. Take your uh, your pockets. Turn all the pockets of your pants, your trousers, whatever you want to call them, your shirts, your jackets out. Put them right on, on the table in front of you and look at them. Look at what you actually carry. You may carry some pretty ragtag things. If you're a parent of, of children with long hair, you probably got a bunch of hair ties or elastics in there. If you've got a dog, chances are you got a couple of pieces of crushed up dog treats. Uh, you may even have a couple of scooper bags. You know what those are for. Uh, and of course, if you are a work uh, a working person, if you work in construction, work in the trades of any kind, you're probably going to have some sort of tool in your pocket. It might be a multi-tool. It might be a specific doohickey that you have for your job. 
Uh, I know almost every single plumber I know carries a flashlight of some sort in their pocket, no matter what time of day it is. They always have a flashlight on them, uh, which is a great idea for everybody. So those kinds of ideas, turn it out and look at what you actually already carry. I turned out my pockets while we were doing this episode, when I started this episode up, and I'm looking at what I got on me. I don't have a lot because I'm, I'm in my house. I don't have to have everything on me all the time. Uh, but I have a knife. I've got a two lighters. I've got a challenge coin just because it was in my pocket today. I've got my phone, my wallet. I have uh, a couple of other little items here that we'll get into later of, of like ideas you can add to your EDC. But in general, I have what I have in front of me is a, in a pocket dump store sort of fashion. And that's a great way to start to learn about your patterns. And this doesn't have to be like write it all down, though it's helpful. It is helpful to journal this kind of stuff. Anything you're learning, journal it. Um, but you can dump out your pockets at any given time of the day. The first time you remember in the day, like, oh, pocket dump. Somebody says the word pocket near you or that place is a dump or whatever it may be. Oh, pocket dump. I should dump out all my stuff and look at it and just get an idea of what's in my pockets right now. And then, yeah, write it down or memorize it all and consider it. And then after a week, just a week, five, six, seven days, start to compare notes. Like I carried this many items on Monday. I carried these items though on Tuesday. I was missing that item and keep going down the list. Like, hey, I didn't have that every single day. Why did I have it on that one day, but not every day? And from there, you can start to get an idea of what you carry that is already your current everyday carry. So that's your first step is just kind of becoming more aware of what is already in your pockets. And these can be your jacket pockets or your coat pockets. This could be your pants pockets, your jean pockets, your trouser pockets. This could be if you have something tucked into your boot. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily go right to backpacks or rucksacks or computer bags, um, simply because that becomes something else altogether to a lot of other people. That could become uh, a 72-hour pack. That could be a bug-out bag. That could be your camping pack. The only way I would disagree with all that is potentially a computer bag. If you have work and you do work in an office, you probably have a computer bag that has all your notes in there, but you may toss in other things. And that could be a, you know, when I say a computer bag, it's like a personal tote bag that you're going to have with you every day. That could be a purse. That could be a satchel. That could be the simple little backpack you put on before you go out for your bicycle ride to the office, whatever it may be. That is your kind of like, I'll put like quote unquote, like computer bag or office bag. Your, your daily life bag. It's not necessarily a bug out bag or a rucksack, right? Uh, and this is this is something we could consider as part of EDC. If you carry it on your way to work every day and you carry it around with you at work every day, sure, yeah, that's probably going to be part of your EDC. So if you have a purse or a satchel or a computer bag or a small backpack or day sack, whatever you want to call them, uh, those can be looked at as like, hey, what's in that? Dump that pocket out because it's, it's just a bigger pocket that's on your person. Dump it out and take a look at what's in there. I've got a power bank. I've got a memory bank, like a terabyte drive of some sort, or hard uh, external hard drive. I've got uh, these extra charging cables, and I might even have a charging block for my phone in there in case I have to charge on the road or if I'm charging at the office that I can have all my phone fully charged before I start pedaling home or walking over, taking the bus home or driving home. Uh, you may have personal effects in there that are really important to you. You may have your medical documents in there. You may have uh, your homework for school if you're at a university or college or in high school or whatever type of education you may be in. Those are parts of your everyday carry, the things that you're carrying every single day, every single day. 
on the way to work, on the way to school, on the way to the diner, on the way to the restaurant, on the way to the hospital or your doctor's appointment or the pharmacy or the gas station on your way home, whatever it may be, or of course, on your way home. That's everyday carry. So dump those things out. Do it right now. We're, we're going to just pause this podcast right now, dump out everything and take note of what is in your pockets as we're talking. And if it's the word nothing, if it's the number zero, think about that. Why? Is it because you're sitting around your boxers listening to me? That's that's a little uh, little weird. Not, no judgment. No judgment. I'm just going to say it's, uh, it's kind of strange. You're listening to me and my sultry voice while you're in your boxers, sitting in your living room, eating Cheetos. Sean. Yeah, I know. Anyways. If that's the reason why, like, hey, I'm just chilling at home. I don't need to have anything in my pockets. Consider that. Think about that. Is that true? Where do you, So where are those items when they're not on you? Are they on the coffee table? Are they on uh, the hutch, the, the, the china hutch beside your door? Are they on your bed table? Are they in the jeans that you're going to put on after you finish eating those Cheetos and wipe them off on your boxer, your fingers off on the boxer shorts and then put the jeans on? Where are your everyday carry items when they're not on you? Where do you store them? What do you do to maintain them? Do you change the batteries? Do you check on the batteries? Do you pre-charge and recharge everything that you need that has electricals in it? All that kind of stuff has to be considered. All those things you should be considering right now as you pause the podcast now. And we're back. Now that we're back from you looking at the stuff in your pockets, let's start to start to brainstorm. Okay, maybe you're noticing that there's certain items that you don't carry. And maybe they'd be a good idea to carry them. Maybe it'd be, hey, I don't smoke, but I should be carrying a lighter with me in case something goes wrong when I'm out there walking the dog or I'm going for a jog or I'm taking in the atmosphere of the, uh, of the neighborhood. Maybe I should have a power bank to charge my phone. Maybe I should have a watch. All those kinds of things start to kind of com- combine and compound and you start to get kind of flustered. And I call it, uh, and, and you can start to go real far. Like people start to have paralysis by analysis of like, oh man, I don't know what I should be carrying. And they get anxiety from it. I've had it before where I'm like, I don't know what to bring in my pockets and have on me just in case, especially when I'm traveling. I never know what I'm going to need when I'm on the road. And so I kind of will overpack and I'll do what I call pocket rucking. That's my kind of nickname. It's an overload of your pockets where you literally look like you've got you know the dad like stereotype of cargo shorts and they have like things filled out to the brim on those cargo pockets yeah those plus my front pockets my back pockets my coat pocket my vest pocket whatever i may be wearing everything's basically filled up with every item i think i might need and that is not comfortable and not realistic it's just the same thing as a survival kit if you make such a extensive survival kit that you can't easily comfortably forget that it's there you're probably going to forget it at home at some point because it's just so bulky and so damn heavy and so eventually if it's if you're carrying a three and a half pound combat knife every single day in the woods and you have a fanny pack or butt pack of every single survival item you could ever need with a water filter in there and water tablets and a life straw and a water bottle. And then you throw in all the shelter components you'll ever need. And the thing weighs seven or eight pounds. 
you may leave that at home at some point or leave it uh, leave it take it off once in a while and that's when you get a charge from moose that chases you down the cre- uh, the creek and you can't go back where you came from because you sprained your ankle and therefore it's not a survival kit because it's not always on your person because you got to take it off at some point and let your body rest and the same thing can happen with the everyday carry items you can start to pack too many things on your person and you're going to start having the pants sag the belt cinched up real tight and you're going to have the, the 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 coats that jingle and jangle and kind of tug on you if you don't have them zipped up snug all that kind of stuff is going to happen to you and so you've got to figure out a streamline while not losing out on quality items things that are going to be important to you and so we can look at this from a survival category of like why everyday carry well i want to make sure i can survive in an emergency if if you don't have it on you all the time you're going to lose it's kind of those uh that kind of phrase about condoms. I'd rather have one on me and not need it than need it and not have one on me. That kind of phrase. That's kind of the perspective of a lot of people when it comes to everyday carry. I'd rather have it on me and not need it than need it and not have it. And again, we can believe in that mindset. We can get into that mindset, but we've got to be mindful and realistic about what we want to carry and how much of it we want to carry. Remember, Everyday carry means every day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, all the way back to Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, every day of every month of every year. So we have to be mindful. We're not trying to train our thighs for the Olympics to be able to walk with 15 pounds on each side of the thigh in the cargo pockets. we got to be mindful of these things. we got to actually carry things that are realistic for us. So the first exercise, as I said, that we already did is my favorite, and that is to turn out your pockets and think about what you pull, uh, what you just pulled out of your pockets. Consider it, note it, take note, and then the next day, when you remember at a random time, do it again and take note and compare the notes. Do that every single day for five, six, seven days, either a work week or a whole week. Do it. Take a look at it and then compare the notes at the end of the week, and you can start to figure out, hey... I'm lacking in this. Maybe I need something for shelter. Maybe I need something for communications. Maybe I need something for first aid. Whatever it may be, that's where you can dive in and think about it really, really hard. So that's the first step is getting aware of what you already carry. And then from there, we can start to learn what to carry or who to learn that stuff from. So where can we learn to get better at what we need to carry, understand what we should be carrying? First of all, survival courses and learning the right kinds of equipment that you should need because of the necessities of your life in survival. Uh, the, your your sacred five, whatever you want to go by, you call it the sacred five or the five priorities. You uh, fire, uh, so mental health or ment- uh, mind, fire, shelter, water, rescue, right? Those are your five primary needs, your five priorities. Your mental health is first, your mind is first, and then fire, water, shelter, they can all be interspersed depending on the scenario. Um, I always say fire and then shelter and then water, but shelter and water kind of blend. We've talked about this in the past, but uh, if you don't know, check out some of our earlier episodes. I kind of rant about this stuff quite a bit, but anyways, um, beyond your five needs, what else? Like, how do we communicate with people? How think of all the things that are in your pockets? Where do we, how do we learn about making the right decisions of what to carry with us. There's a lot of articles and there's a lot of videos on the term EDC or on the subculture of EDC. From very briefly looking at it all, um, there's very few that aren't a marketing ploy. 
And I hate saying that because I don't want to be that guy that's like trying to sound all anti-capitalist and everything. That's not what I'm trying to get at here. The problem is a lot of these uh, videos I've seen, like if you type in EDC, uh, I did it tonight on uh, YouTube. The first 10 videos, majority of them are simply people marketing new fancy fangled knives, wallets, power banks, lighters, and gadgets to you. That's the main ones. There's one channel that kept coming up where the person was actually reviewing the concept of everyday carry with the gear that he was reviewing, and that was Best Damn EDC. Best Damn EDC was uh, with, I believe his name is uh, Martin Taylor. If I got his name wrong, my apologies, sir. Your videos are phenomenal. Very impressed by them. I like your way, your train of thought. Um, big shout out to him. And I don't think I need to do a big shout out. I've probably got a very small following of listeners compared to that this gentleman here uh, because he's been doing this for quite a while from when I checked out his channel. Uh, very, very well thought out individual who doesn't get into the whole like, I don't want to, I don't want to get mean or anything like that. But some people get into this like, they market themselves as an expert and they start giving you like the rules of everyday carry, the rules of survival with all these pieces of equipment you must have and all these priorities that you must face at all times. Whereas he's coming in from a perspective of, okay, is it practical? Is it affordable? Is it not affordable? But can you save money for it? And yada, yada, yada. Is it worth your money? Is this pretty good? Is that pretty good? I test this stuff out. I tried these five different flashlights. I like these two for these reasons. It's very down to earth and very common thinking, common logic. It's very, very easy to listen to, very, very easy to follow along with his train of thought. Uh, I really do enjoy his channel. Another thing that you can check out that we started up uh, early January, we originally started up in May of 2020 uh, and it didn't go anywhere. And so we tried it again in July, uh, January of 2020 and it's starting to kick up, it's starting to pick up pace. Um, the hashtag over on Instagram, not on Facebook. There's not much on Facebook about it. Uh, there's not much on most social media except for Instagram. You go over there and type in the hashtag my3edc. My3, number three, not the spelling out of three. My3edc. My3edc. Hashtag my3edc. And the idea behind this was a thought, uh, a thought project or a, a thinking experiment. I don't want to say a thought experiment because that's much more deep and, and philosophical and gets into a lot of other stuff. It's a thinking game and a challenge for everybody and a friendly challenge. It's not trying to show off that I know more than you. The idea of it is you show three items that you always have in your pockets. doesn't matter if it's your cell phone and a lighter and a knife or a flashlight, a multi-tool, and a signal mirror, whatever it may be that you have in your pockets, that you always have in your pockets. And you simply type, uh, you describe those items, you tag three friends on your Instagram, uh, tag us as well, like tag at Canadian.Bushcraft. Please do that because we love to follow along as well. Make sure it's public so people can see it. And then use the hashtag, hashtag my3edc, and follow that hashtag and see where it'll go. We've got people from all walks of life, from all over Canada, the United States, and starting to pick up in other places around the world as well. Uh, we're going on our second, uh, today was our second week of doing this, where we do it every Tuesday afternoon or Tuesday morning, depends on the day, 
uh, how what I'm having or how busy I am. Uh, I'll start it off for the week and tag some people, and they tag some people, and they tag some people, and we see how far it goes, and then we follow along on the hashtag and watch what other people are considering for their items. Some people have a pen and paper or notepad in there. Some people have a really tiny flashlight with a really big knife, and other people have, you know, even more out of the box thoughts. One uh, one of our friends who's been on the on the podcast multiple times. She was on one of our first episodes for this uh, for 2021. Nikki Satira showed hers, and hers was chapstick, um, a hair scrunchie, a face mask, because that's her life. That's her. She has to have those items on her every single day, and she. She messaged me later and said, oh, I feel kind of like a like a dork because I didn't realize what this was about. Like, but that is what it's about. That is exactly what it's about. What do you carry on you every single day? There's no right or wrong to this. This is a learning experiment. This is an exercise for everyone to consider and look at what other people are putting in their pockets and listening to what their justifications are. There's no one coming in as the expert here. I'm not an expert because of what I post any more than you, the listener, are an expert posting what you put in your pockets. It's a very humble, no-ego challenge where everybody gets to show what they carry and why they carry it and get inspiration from one another to understand it better and learn from one another. And I think that's a great way to do this is when you start having friends that also have everyday carry. Um, one of the frequent things with a lot of our staff in the past uh, was when we went uh, when we would do Canadian bushcraft courses on the final day, we usually grab lunch at the local diner. And one of the jokes that we used to have was, whoever doesn't have a knife on them has to pay for lunch. Like that was one of the jokes. It wasn't always the case, uh, and mo but most of our staff would have knives on them. And so we would check, very subtly, not brandishing, you know, not, not like pulling this out of my pocket, big old spider co-resilience, flashing it around, pointing at people and waving it over my heads. Nothing like that, just simply, if it's a belt knife, lean back and let people see it. If it was a pocket knife, set it on the table beside your phone. Looks very discreet. Doesn't scare anybody. Doesn't make anybody grab their pearls and and fan their face so they don't pass out or faint. Simply that and have everybody be like, okay, you're carrying, you're carrying, you're carrying. So why? And what? why do you have that one? What's that? What, that's, what's that one about? And people carry like different kinds of tools, different kinds of blades, different kinds of equipment. And this became a different kind of exercise for us as instructors to see, okay, are we all uniform on the same thoughts? Because if everybody showed the exact same knife, I'd be kind of worried. But no, everybody had different kind of blades on them. And that started to get the juices flowing in the brain of like, okay, why do you carry that knife? Well, I carry this because I don't want to be, you know, scaring people. I'm just going to carry a pocket knife on me. Uh, I left the knife in the, the big belt knife in the car. Or, hey, why do you got that belt knife on me? It's the night that I'm most comfortable with. And all these kinds of conversations can come up. And so maybe as you go down through these pocket dumps every day, encourage your friends, encourage your neighbor, encourage your roommate, encourage your coworkers to check this stuff out too and be like, hey, what's your everyday carry? Dump your pockets and see. And they might pull out some uh, a USB flash drive and they'll be like, that's got 90% of everything I need virtually. Like on the on the digital world on the on the computer, I have some podcasts on there. I've got some books on there. I've got I've got a survival manual on there, a first aid manual in that uh, in that USB drive. Maybe they have all their family photos on there. Maybe they have all of their contact information in case of an emergency. Someone could plug that in and get all the information to log into all their stuff, get a hold of everybody, and take care of everything. 
There's all those kinds of things that can be happening with something as simple as a USB flash drive. So all those kinds of things can be done. All these different descriptions, people might pull out different things. And that's kind of cool. That's actually really cool. I really enjoy that part of everyday carry, seeing what other people carry. Uh, a good friend of mine, he always has a lighter that's made specifically to light his pipe. It's not a X-Flame or Arker kind of lighter. It's not a high-butane torch. It's it's a simple Zippo-style flame that comes out on a 90-degree angle from the actual mouth of the, of, the, of the lighter, or the body of the lighter comes out perpendicular to about a 45. Uh, and that's specifically because he lights his pipe, because he's a pipe smoker. And so that gives me some ideas in my life to look at. Like, hey, that lighter is really funky. That lighter is really cool. Why does it work that way? Oh, so I can light my pipe. Okay, well, that means that when you're lighting downward, it's not going to burn you, right? Yeah. Well, what if I have to light a fire from an upward position? If I'm standing and I'm pushing my lighter down, that's where people get their singed knuckles and all that kind of stuff happening. Now I'm thinking, hey, maybe I should carry a pipe knife or a pipe, uh, a pipe lighter. A pipe knife would be good too if I was smoking a pipe more. But that one little gadget starts making the juices flow in my brain as creativity starts to come out and imagination starts to come out. And so there's a lot of different directions we can go with our everyday carry. There's a lot of thoughts and considerations we can put in. We can start imagining much more fancy things on us. Um, but before we go that far, I want to start breaking down other ways of thinking, considering our everyday carry. So we've talked about what is everyday carry, EDC, how, uh, what do you already carry? What aren't you carrying is something to consider. And then another way to think about this is why do you carry? Why do you carry what you carry? What are the reasons you're carrying? And why do you want to carry other things? The more you think about that from almost a philosophical view, the more you'll understand your train of thought of how you prepare for things. For example, if you carry an Israeli tourniquet or bandage on you all the time, you're probably thinking from an emergency perspective of, I need to have these kinds of items on me because of an emergency. And that's okay. But now you're starting to think about why do we prepare in that way? Is it because I drive to work every day and there's a very good potential eventually coming across a really bad accident? Or is it you're fearful of violent actions? All these considerations can start to come to mind. Now, again, in Canada, we can't, uh, in the United States, everyday carry frequently, a lot of people talk about everyday carry revol revolving around a firearm. We don't really have that luxury here in Canada, unless you are a remote wilderness open carry licensed individual who works in remote wilderness areas and you can carry a handgun in those areas with your restricted license. And again, I'm not a lawyer. Look into that stuff. Find out about that stuff. But for the most part in Canada, you can't everyday carry a pistol, but you may carry a knife on you. Now you got to start thinking, is, am, I, am I carrying this knife in the form of a self-defense tool uh, as a weapon or is this simply a tool? Is this a tool that we use to open packages, parcels, uh, maybe cut up an apple because I don't like to bite into apples. I hate biting apples. I hate biting into hard fruit like pears and apples. I just don't. I prefer cutting them up and chewing them. Um, I'm not sure why, but that's just me. Maybe you're carrying this knife for other tasks, for uh, the fact that it's a multi-tool, like a Leatherman or a Gerber multi-tool. Those are very, very valid concerns or considerations, not concerns. Um, you can look at a different perspectives. Do I need to have a big, big F off knife in an urban setting? Not really. 
when we look at a knife for everyday carry, the reason my number one everyday carry for almost any time I'm going to definitely be in the city or in a large town or even a small town is the Benchmade Ollie, the, uh, the 380 Ollie, I think it is. It's spelled A-L-L-E-R, but I was told it's pronounced Ollie. The main reason I carry that one is, A, it's completely unassuming. No one's going to be scared of this knife. And I've mentioned this earlier in the podcast. No one's going to be scared of that knife unless they're just plainly scared of knives, period. If you have one on you, you're a monster, yada, yada, yada. But this thing has a bottle opener on it. This thing has a flathead screwdriver, a mini hex driver on it. It has uh, a very simple sheep foot blade. There's a more recent, I think it was 2019-2020, the Ollie Fume or Fume. Or I, can't, I can't remember how to pronounce it, but it's Fume or Fumi. Uh, right after Ollie Fume or Fumi, and they cut a hole in the handle and made it a chisel ground blade, very, very thin chisel ground blade for a very thin blade already to make it into a, it's a knife, it's a screwdriver, it's a bottle opener, and now it's a cigar cutter. Just for those folks that want to sit back with a stogie. So now they're giving it even more reasons. That's more uh, what some people might look at as a gentleman's tool for... Uh, for some reason, they like to put a gender on that, but uh, a gentleman's tool. Sure, we'll call it that. It's a very interesting perspective of a knife. This knife is so unassuming. It's so small. The blade is less than an inch and a half, maybe two inches long in total, the actual cutting edge. Um, very thin, very small, no point on it, so it's not intimidating looking at all. And again, it can't lock in position, so it's not that kind of intimidating knife either. It can't be looked at as a tactical knife. But... I can open boxes, I can open parcels, I can tear down cardboard with it, I can process food with it. I've used it on many times, on multiple occasions, to cut up things from fish to carrots. It works just fine. It's a little underwhelming for chopping up big root vegetables, like a sweet potato or, or a potato or a rutabaga, by all means. But it'll work fine on things like celery and parsley and all that kind of stuff. It's I often use it almost like a herb mincing tool in my kitchen, uh, especially when we're out camping because it's, it's usually the knife that's not going to be covered in guts. It's probably not going to be covered in blood because it's not really that kind of knife. So perfect for when we're out camping, we catch some trout and somebody fillets the trout out and their knife is covered in fish juices and we got to chop up some herbs and a piece of lemon. I'll pull out my ollie and slice those up and mince them up real fast. Perfect. And then, of course, if I'm at the post office, I can open a parcel. I can take something out of packaging in the store, all that kind of stuff. It's it's all really simple with that kind of knife. Because I started to really consider when I started looking at trying to find an everyday carry knife, my first everyday carry knife was this Spyderco Resilience that's sitting here. It is a four and a quarter inch blade, beautiful knife. And it still is a frequent pocket, uh, pocket carried knife of mine. I love it a lot. But... I'm also aware that this thing can be very intimidating to people. And for what I'm going to use it for in town, do I have to justify having a four and a quarter inch knife with a sharp pointy point on it? Is it a stabby rip, stab, stab looking knife? Then maybe I don't want to carry it because I like, yeah, I have the right to, but do I have to get people into a frenzy and have to talk to every single police officer I bump into because of this thing? I'd rather not. I'd rather just go about my day and just have a good life. Sure. I'm not standing up for my rights. Not every knife has to look intimidating. I can still carry a knife and not be a problem. So I carry the Ollie for that reason. At the same time, I had knives like the uh, the Bug Out, the Benchmade Bug Out. Still love that knife. 
but I find myself carrying that more in the woods with me now than taking it into the towns because I have the Ollie. Uh, maybe I'll carry a Swiss Army knife or a Spyderco. There's certain Spydercos that also don't have uh, big points on them and stuff. These kinds of knives where I have to think about what am I going to be using it for. My philosophy of use uh, has to come into play. My, my, my philosophy behind how I use that tool and why am I carrying it. So, I carry the Ollie, which is a simple, small, it's no bigger than a, than a, than a pipe lighter. It's no bigger than um, a Zippo, really, which means it's discreet, fits in my pocket. And the coolest thing is the pocket clip that's on it also doubles as a billfold. So if I do want to make a minimalist wallet my, part of my decisions of carry or one of my everyday carry items instead of having my big leather RFID-proof wallet, uh, I can. And all my cash can go onto the Ollie, and it becomes my billfold, and it becomes even more of a practical tool. Again, that's my decision to make that my knife. It doesn't have to be the reason you buy it. I'm not telling you you have to go and buy that knife. That's just the reasons I carry it because I considered my philosophy of use. How and why do I carry these tools? Well, if I'm just going to be in the city for the day helping my father at the store or helping my sister and my nieces pick up some stuff, uh, or if I'm going in to send away parcels to our members of Patreon who are going to be getting swag in the next few months very, very soon, simply because they've been supporting us for nearly a year now. Uh, we're hope we're trying to line them up and get it organized with them for those that are at the certain tiers that we can start mailing out some swag to them to show them our thanks. Uh, so I'm going to have to help open parcels and stuff. Maybe I'm going to town to pick up parcels because they were too big of a parcel to be delivered to my house, which happens all the damn time. Not as much since the lockdown, since the original lockdown of the and the quarantine back in March, but because now they just deliver it at the house and they just leave it because they know like they don't really want me coming into the post office. But even then, parcel shows up. I want to open up and make sure everything's in good condition. I've got my knife on me. Does it have to be a four and a quarter inch blade? No, a one and a half inch, two inch blade does just fine. So maybe I'm carrying a Swiss Army knife or a, uh, a, a little Gerber pocket knife or a little tiny uh, case knife, whatever knife it may be. And we're talking a lot about knives because that's like the number one tool almost everybody talks about with their EDC. But I want to dive after this talk, this part of the consideration of thinking, we're going to start listing a bunch of other items you could be carrying. And we're going to dive into them as well. Might as well get into them now. So we've mentioned knives, of course. Fire, of course, is another option. Communication, our phones, right? Our phones. It could be more than just the phones. It could be a GPS, uh, like the Garmin Phoenix and all those other wrist-powered or uh, wristwatch-style GPSs. Fitbit, all that kind of stuff could be kind of dialed into communication because it's more like computing and all that stuff. All the technology aspects is can be kind of looked at as communication. In our car, when we go on the road, we carry, uh, especially if we have more than one vehicle, we actually carry... Uh, two-way radios in the vehicle simply so that it's easier to communicate instead of having to wait for text and everything. Everybody keeps the, the radio in there. The radio is charged. And whenever we actually need to communicate with the other car, like, hey, we want to pull over and get some gas or, hey, we've got to use the toilet, uh, that could be immediate communication right then and there. It's another way of looking at it. Uh, I'm not carrying a GP, like a big, you know, <laughs> Motorola or uh, Cobra radio on my shoulder every single day. I'm not communicating, like walking around like a police officer with a radio. That's not what I'm getting at. But everyday carry, the communication, the technology with communication. Beyond that, uh, we can start looking at flashlights. 
Olight is a brand that I've seen a lot of people talk about. Yuko is a brand that I've spoken about in the past, and I'm a big fan of Yuko. Um, there's a lot of brands out there, for everything from Maglite, which is probably the most famous flashlight company since the 90s and 80s. Uh, but Olight is affordable, and they come in a whole lot of varieties. The biggest kick in the teeth, though, was my favorite flashlight company ever closed down many years ago. I believe it was from a death in the business, like a, the owner passed away. Uh, and that was heartbreaking. But the company was called uh, was called Lighthound. And Lighthound made, you know, it was like little tiny single bulb LED flashlight fobs that you'll sometimes find on a keychain. You might find them for like a zipper pull. All those little flashlights. They're like cheap, like weak, cheap plastic, cruddy, uh, cruddy build. They get a little bit damp and they shut off. Mil uh, like a little bit of mist, a little bit of condensation they're just dead in the water the battery lasts like 10 minutes i had a lighthound key fob light that lasted five and a half years on my outer jacket it was always on the zipper as my main pull for the jacket and it never failed ever it lasted five and a half years until uh the the, the, the entire thing started to actually fall apart simply because it had been abused so much for me sitting on the jacket, throwing the jacket around, yanking on the zipper, smacking things against me like branches and stuff. It finally just, it just bit the dust after five and a half years. And when I went to replace it about three years ago, found out that the company had closed up since then. And there was no one really making that key fob light anymore. And that broke my damn heart. I love that flashlight. I really miss it. Makes me wish I had bought like 10 of them when I got it. But anyways, flashlights. It could be uh, the BioLite 330 uh, headlamp that you keep in a cargo pocket at all times or keep in your jacket pocket at all times so that when you're walking the dog, you're hands-free. You can control the leash, control the pooper scooper, whatever. Or maybe because you live on a farm and you got to go and check on the ducks and check on the, check on the other poultry, the chickens, the, the geese. you got to check on the horses and make sure that the coyotes aren't coming and make sure the, the guard dog is out there doing their thing and got well-fed. All that kind of stuff could be a reason to have a headlamp or a hands-free flashlight. The, the cool thing about the O-lights is they have a pocket uh, clip that doubles as a clip you could hook onto your uh, hat brim. If you're wearing a ball cap, you can hook it on that brim, that bill, and it'll act almost like a headlamp for you. Really nifty idea. And a lot of other flashlights do that as well, but I liked how the O-light ones did it. Because they work for both uh, button down and button up clipping. So they the, the button, the, the pocket clip is uh is multi-directional which is really nifty really nifty in my opinion uh but it could be a maglite main maglite for many years what i carried i kind of followed the train of thought of cody lundin in his book when all hell uh sorry 98.6 degrees the art of keeping your ass alive his first book not when all, uh, all hell breaks loose he mentions carrying a mini maglite with spare batteries in his for in his survival kit and wrapping duct tape around that flashlight and then even adding on, like, have a piece of parachute cord attached inside that duct tape to become a lanyard. And he would put the duct tape around the flashlight body, the aluminum body of the flashlight, the mini mag light, and he would bite onto that so he could now have a hands-free flashlight. Did that for many years. It worked just fine. I liked it. It worked. And then one day I just got a decent headlamp and realized I much prefer not having my jaw clenching, trying to hold onto it, and having spit dripping down my flashlight as I'm trying to tie knots in a storm. It's much nicer to have a headlamp uh, in those situations. But a flashlight, a physical hand uh, handheld flashlight 
is a great choice. And yes, you have one on your phone. I'm not going to argue with that. My concern is, A, that light is actually not that, you know, user-friendly in the field. If you've got to tie things, you got to do things, you got to put things down, you got to use your hands, that phone isn't really made to be propped up very well to, to shine its beam in the direction of things you're doing. But also, it really does kill the battery. Like, it drains that battery fast. And if you did forget to bring a power bank, you're in trouble. The other reason I like those BioLights, uh, the BioLite 330s, is they're, they're USB-powered. So they're, they, they can be charged through a USB charger. So you can bring a power bank that charges both your phone and your headlamp. That's And even your flashlight. There's flashlights that are USB charged other than just the, uh, the headlamp. So if you're carrying two flashlights, a headlamp and a handheld flashlight, make sure they're both of the same charger. And you can have that kind of become a multi-use system for power. So talking on that, from flashlights to power, I carried, I've carried a lot of different kinds of power banks. The ones that I carry now are as thin and slimline as possible, so they're not taking up too much bulk in my pockets. And what I do to mitigate that, and because the smaller they are, the less charge they're going to be able to keep for a long time, uh, just like a phone. Uh, the bigger the phone is, the bigger the battery. The bigger the power bank, the bigger the battery. They can last longer, they can charge longer, they can throw out more energy, yada, yada, yada. The way I kind of mitigate that is I carry chargers, I carry power banks that have a plug-in uh, charger. So they have uh, the two sprong, the two prongs that come down, they fold away into the body of the, of the power bank, and I can make it into a wall charging unit. So it just plugs into any charger, uh, any uh, uh, wall wall plug I see, any wall outlet I see, I can just plug right in that, whether if I'm at a bus station I'm at a restaurant, I'm at a airport, what have you. I can be charging my power bank while using it to charge my phone at the same time. It becomes a charger for my phone while I'm charging the power bank. And they don't usually recommend you do both of those, but I've not seen any issue with either battery from doing that for well over three years now, using a flip-down plug-in charger and treating that almost like the, power, uh, the, the charging block for my phone. I've not seen any trouble with that happening. They, many of the, uh, the manufacturers recommend you don't do that. I'm going to tell you to listen to the to, to listen to the recommendations by the manufacturer, but I haven't seen any issue is the best way I can respond to all that. So that's my solution. There's a small, slimline power bank. Uh, I know when I went down to Columbia, I brought like four power banks because I was so scared of not being able to have my phone working, my flashlights working, my, <laughs> my GPS working. I was really wor worried about these things. And so I wanted power bank upon power bank. And by the time we got down there, I never had to worry about it once. I used one power bank the entire time we were there and flew home with the same amount of juice on that power bank as what I left with. Not the same amount, but I had the same charge. I never charged once while I was down there. I charged The last time I charged was when I was at the airport. We flew down, got into Bogota, left Bogota, flew to Leticia. And the entire time from there, I never charged my power bank once all the way until I got back to Toronto at Pearson Airport and drove home. And when I got home, that's when I charged my power bank again. So power banks that are slimline and small, hey, that doesn't mean that they're not going to be able to have a lot of power in them. Again, I was gone for nearly a week with the same charge, just charging my phone, my flashlights, and doing all that kind of stuff. So power, power banks are the answer, especially ones that can have the flip-down prongs for charging in wall units and everything else like that. 
The next thing that comes to mind for me is water. And this is the one thing in EDC that a lot of people kind of gloss over. And we've had a water episode, so you know most of my train of thought when it comes down to it. But I've been in situations where I'm waiting, uh, <laughs> especially in the early days when I was like 19 years old, 20 years old. I was traveling around with no car driver's license, no wheels, nothing like that. And I was going out to places like Indiana and Michigan and Montreal and Thunder Bay. I was traveling around Huntsville, all over the place. And you would get to some of these like hole-in-the-wall kind of bus stations. And they would drop you off. The bus would drop you off because you got to get to your next pickup in seven hours from there. In seven hours. And you realize there is nothing here. And the, 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 the bus station is it, it, it's closed, and it's three in the morning. There's no convenience store around that's open. There's no twenty-four hour Seven Elevens around. There's nowhere around. You can't use the bathroom anywhere. You can't, you know, buy a drink of water anywhere. You can't get a soda anywhere. You can't get a bag of chips. You can't get a burger. Nothing. And so you fast, like you just don't eat. Like it's not that big of a deal. But you get thirsty waiting around. Like, trust me on that. You get thirsty waiting around, especially in the heat of summer or in the late, late, late summer, early August, uh, early autumn. Uh, it gets really thirsty. Like, you're just thirsty. And so you just suffer. I've seen some people, uh, and I've done this, and it's disgusting. It's uh, I'm going to say this right now. It's absolutely disgusting, but I've done it, uh, where they found, like, a soda can in a recycling bin behind a dumpster and they cut the lid off it, cut the top off it, rinse it out in a rainstorm during the rain and they rinse it out in the rain in a puddle or something and they stick it in the downspout of the bus station for their, for their uh, gutters. Do you want to know how many pigeons are roosted on those roofs most days and how much bird poop is on a roof on any average day? Any, any roof, but especially for some reason, bus stations. A lot. There's a lot of pigeon poop up there. And then the next rainstorm, you're getting a lot of pigeon poop in that water. It's absolutely disgusting. And you assume, hey, it's rainwater. It's clean water. No, it's not. It landed on a roof. The roof is dirty. <laughs> so people drink that. I've drank it myself. It's nasty. And once you realize what was in that, oh, you feel disgusted with yourself. I'm even feeling gross with myself now. But there's solutions for things like this. First and foremost, if you've got a backpack with you, you can carry a water filter. Not that big of a deal. You're already carrying a water filter when you go camping. You might as well take it with you when you go tripping, when you're going on road trips and all that stuff. You may realize that the next convenience store, the next gas station, the next place to get clean water is like six hours away and you're thirsty now. Check on the maps for a clean body of water and just pull over and get some water. Pump it out with your filter and you're good to go. For urban movement, and what I do is in my wallet, in the billfold portion of my wallet, I carry four uh, Catadine MicroPure MP1 or M1 tablets. These are uh, chlorine tablets, which we've talked about the halogens and what they work for and what they don't work for. Um, they're not going to be extremely efficient against things like protozoa, but they're going to work really well against viruses and other things that are going to get me sick now. Uh, so that's mainly what I carry for that kind of situation. I'll carry also a bandana. I've got a buff sitting here with me, one of those head scarves or head tubes. 
Uh, that's a perfect filter that I'll put over the bottle. And if I do have to collect rain from a from a um, pardon me, a roof's gutters downspout, so be it. I'll put that over the end of my the mouth of my bottle, which is usually a stainless steel water bottle that I carry with me. Uh, many of you probably seen it in uh, videos with me. Uh, it's just a big stainless steel. I think it's a not guy. Clean Canteen was the brand. I think uh, one liter water bottle, and I'll just stretch a piece of fabric across the mouth. Let the water fill in there from a creek. Let the water fill in there from a downspout, whatever it may be. Uh, from a tap, even if you do have taps around, like a water faucet, don't assume the water's clean. Uh, I the worst waterborne illness I've ever had in my life was from a town, from a town in rural America, a town. Not talking about some third world country. Not talking about uh, extremely remote climate waterfall. We're not talking about any of that. So we're talking about a town in the United States of America in a developed country. I got amoebas in my guts because of the tap water. So don't trust water anywhere is my perspective. Even in my own house, we do water tests every month in my house, if not every two weeks. If we've done some work on the system, on the plumbing, I'll get a test done the next day just to make sure, just to make sure. All right. So that is one of the first things is water purification tablets or sorry, I, as I said in that episode, wild water, there is no such thing as a water purification tablet except for chlorofloc or flocculants. We're looking for water disinfe uh, disinfection tablets. And in my experience, the catadine MP1s or micropure ones are top notch. They're very stable and they fit into your wallet. They, they're no wider. The, the sleeve of them is no wider than a than a $20 bill or $5 bill or bill money. Uh, and so you can put it in that wallet ears and it fits just fine and they're very durable as long as you're not beating the crap of your wallet by bludgeoning people and fighting off trolls and stuff. It'll work and they won't be too badly damaged. And you can drop them in there with your liter of water, let it set for at least an hour or what have you. And then, yeah, you should be safer than you were before. Right, you had a uh, basic silt filter or at least turbidity filter by putting that bandana or that piece of fabric across the mouth, and then you used a water disinfection tablet made of chlorine, like a halogen, and that should get rid of most concerns. Protozoa might be in there, but everything else you've taken care of for the most part. So, water—it's something that a lot of people don't dive into for EDC. They don't think about it because they're like, "I don't want to carry a water filter in my back pocket." You don't have to. It could be tablets. It could just be tablets, or yeah, you, you can bring in your, if you're on the move, if you're traveling, your traveling bag, have a water filter in there. It's not that big of a deal. They're not that hard to carry. They're not that, you know, bulky and they're not that expensive anymore. So power water, tactical slash covert. Uh, some people find this stuff intriguing in everyday carry. Uh, I won't deny it. I carry lock picks. I carry lock pick set uh, because I'm a law abiding citizen. I don't. I don't carry them for any uh, nefarious reason. I am just fascinated by the puzzles that are locks. I find padlocks. Uh, I used to hitchhike um, at least two or three times a week to work. Uh, when I used to work at Trent University and I was a student at Trent University, I would walk there every day. I was walking there for classes. I was walking there for uh, work when I was working there as, a, as a, an instructor for certain classes and programs. Um, I would walk there. I, I hitchhiked. I, I've always had a fear of driving 
Uh, I do have a driver's license. Don't get me wrong. I do have a driver's license, but I have always had a fear of driving. I always have always been uncomfortable behind the wheel. And from my perspective, I'm not comfortable behind the wheel. I shouldn't be behind the wheel. That's my own personal perspective. And a lot of people have issues with that. I'm sure a lot of my family and friends probably have a lot of deep sighs about the fact that I don't drive very often and that I walk everywhere. And it's because, you know what? I don't want to be responsible for someone else's death and I don't want to be responsible for my death. And I'd rather, well, I'm always probably, gonna be, I'm always going to be the one probably responsible for my death. Don't get me wrong, but I just am not comfortable behind the wheel. And so I walked everywhere. I still walk and walk. Uh, and yeah, so uh, walking and hitchhiking to work every day uh, and to school every day, I would stumble across things, junk on the sides of roads. And every, you know, couple of weeks to every couple of months, I would just randomly find a padlock with no keys. Just, just a padlock. It's not like it was like with a door <laughs> or attached to a box with someone inside or something inside. It was just a padlock on the side of the road. Probably fell off somebody's tailgate. Probably fell off uh, their hood of their truck or something when they were opening a gate and closing a gate. They forgot to put the lock back on and they just drove away and the lock fell off on the shoulder of the road somewhere. And then I found it. And I collected them just because I'm like, I'm kind of fascinated by these. Why the heck did somebody leave these behind? I wonder what the story behind these locks were. And then one day I started wondering like, how the hell am I going to open these things if I ever want to learn more about them. And I started learning lock picking. And I've learned it from a few different people. My favorite teacher for lockpicking is Boris over at True North Tradecraft. If you are in the Toronto area, if you're on social media, check out True North Tradecraft. Boris is a beaut. Boris is phenomenal. One of the best in Ontario, if not Canada, if not one of the best in the States and North America in general. I look at him as a great mentor of mine when it comes down to lockpicking. And I've only spent a couple of days with him. Not a huge amount of time. I've got actually take the time once COVID has made it safe. Once everything's safer, uh, I really need to sit down with Boris. I'd love to have him on the uh, on the podcast as well and talk about what he does and uh, what he does with True North Tradecraft and everything else he does. But he was my he was one of my main mentors in lockpicking. I'd learned a little bit online from people like Bosnian Bill and Lockpicking Lawyer and all those kinds of channels you find on YouTube. And I was uh, I've been a member of a lot of lockpicking forums and stuff for the years. And so, yeah, I carry a lockpick set, and that is 100% legal. There's nothing illegal in Canada about carrying a lockpick set on and possessing a lockpick set. The consideration you have to have is the way it was interpreted to me by a police officer who are not good at interpreting law. They are there just to enforce law, by the way. Always talk to a, uh, to a lawyer, not a police officer. But uh, I talked to a lawyer, and I talked to a couple of cops about this, and basically across the board they said, yeah, have it on you. Just make sure you do not commit any crimes while you have that on you. Because no matter what kind of crimes you committed, there's a good chance that if they check your pockets and they find a lockpick set, they're going to add on mischief, if not a few other misdemeanors on there. They're going to quickly start adding up the, the facts on your rap list. So on your rap sheet. So I have a lockpick set. And the, the, two of the first, two of the main rules they have on lockpicking is only pick locks that belong to you. And only pick locks that don't that you don't depend on. Those are the two of the main rules. Don't pick your doors locked to your house, because chances are when you're learning you're gonna you're gonna screw it up. And don't go over to your neighbors and try to pick the lock to their tool shed, because that's a crime. Simple as that. So I've got dozens of locks, padlocks, challenge locks, puzzle locks, all on a tray, usually sitting on my coffee table. I've got a pile of lock picks, and I've got EDC lock picks. There's an OSS pick the, uh, that Boris over Trino Tradecraft sells. 
that is a uh, three type. It's got a raker. It's got a, well, it's got a diamond raker or half diamond. It's got a single hook and it's got a kind of like a Bogota rake. And then it's got a little diamond saw uh, as the handle. They all fold up into a little rubber case with a tension bar, torsion bar. And then I also have a covert companion developed by uh, the lockpicking lawyer with covert instruments. So really cool gadgets that I can fiddle with. And if it comes down to it, I could potentially, if there, if things did hit the fan and let's say my wife lost her keys to her car and her medication is in that car, she's not on any medication I'm aware of, but if she did have medication or the first aid kit was in that car and she was injured, I could get into that car across the board. I can get into that car. Uh, if it's an emergency, I'm probably going to smash the window. And that's like the, the reality. A lot of people are like, oh, if you carry a lockpick set, that's just doing, you're doing that just for crime. Trust me, criminals don't carry lockpick sets usually. They carry a crowbar or a pry bar, or they carry a hammer or bolt cutters. They're not going to take the time to fiddle with a lock. That's done by people who are learning covert skills. Covert skills or uh, non-damaging non uh, entry is another, another way to look at it, is you're learning how to get into places and egress out of places without damaging anything uh, for a lot of different reasons. For me, it's the fascination of padlocks and just locks in general. I'm a nerd. Uh, this is the puzzle that I keep myself entertained with when I'm having anxiety. This is the, uh, the puzzle that I entertain myself with when I'm dealing with stress, when I have to de-stress, when i got to decompress, when i got to think things through, I'll sit there and fiddle with padlocks whether it's with shims or rakers or bypass tools uh, or classic hooks or classic, you know, like snowman hooks, all those kinds of different things, uh, ball uh, rakers, what have you, jigglers. <laughs> I'm just starting to think about all the bypass tools I've got in my collection. Anyways, the two that I would look at as everyday carry would probably be my uh, OSS pick that I got from Camp X, uh, which is through uh, True North Tradecraft the Camp X edition OSS pick or my covert companion from covert industries. I was inspired to, I was inspired to purchase uh, one of the first ones ever made uh, through lockpicking lawyer, who I'm a big fan of. I love his work. I think he's really entertaining. Great channel on YouTube. If you've not seen him, check him out. Um, learn your laws with all this kind of stuff too. Cause that may be the laws that I'm interpreting from talking to lawyers and cops in my region. That may not be the case in the state you live in. You may not be allowed to carry lockpick sets in the state you live in or the province you live in or the territory you live in or the country you live in. So look into that stuff. But some people will put into their everyday carry considerations tactical equipment. And some of that may be egress tools or lockpicking tools or car, uh, car uh, jack, not car jacking, but getting into cars kind of tools. So like a car, a, a, a Slim Jim, a, a air wedge, all that kind of stuff, they may could be considering for their everyday carry stuff. They might. I don't, but they might. Um, all that kind of stuff is part of that, like tactical considerations and covert considerations. Some people are looking at, like, I want to have stuff on me if shit hits the fan. And they're going to consider those kinds of tools as something that they would want to have on them, so they carry it on them. Cool. I carry mine because I want to have my toy with me. It's my version of a fidget spinner. Frankly, it is not because I genuinely think I can just break into any government building and take it down from the inside or any crap like that. I'm not planning on spilling the next Watergate or any kind of crap like that. It's simply I fidget. 
I'm anxious. I have anxiety. I have to be surrounded by people sometimes, and that terrifies me. And therefore, I am going to play with a lockpick, and that's going to make me feel better. So, covert tools, that could be part of that. You can also be looking at, like, with covert tools um, and, uh, what's it called, uh, inseam pockets or inseam pouches. There's these brilliant ideas, especially when you're traveling abroad. Instead of having all your belongings in your pockets where people could pick the pockets, people could rob you and just have you empty your pockets right there and they're going to take whatever you've got, you could be being covert about stuff. One trick that I've heard people say is uh, take $20 or uh, take a couple hundred dollars and just stick it between the sole and insole of your shoe. Sure, most people who are criminals have probably figured that one out. One of my favorites, though, is uh, is a deodorant stick, uh, a stick of deodorant. And you break the bottom off or you pry the bottom off, cut most of the thread out of the way or what have you, and tuck all your money and your passport or anything like that you can fit in there and then put the snap the bottom back on. And that's less likely to be stolen from you when someone's robbing you than your, your shoes or your passport wallet thing that you have around your neck or your actual wallet in your pocket. You can put a bunch of fake, uh, some people will even put in like fake credit cards so it has weight and mass to it. And they'll have like a dummy wallet on them in case they're going to get pickpocketed. And they'll do that stuff. And that's kind of considered like, that could be considered security or safety or that could be considered covert. Like you're making sure that people can't steal your identity, steal your money, steal your life. You're going to give them what they want. They pull a gun on you in some dingy city street back alley that you try to cut through to get back to your hotel and they mug you and you give them the wallet and they've got it in their hand and they're confident they got your money. They're confident they got your identity. They confident they have everything they need about you and they go the other way and you just keep on walking and make sure that you sound bummed out about it. Make sure that you sound like put it on, put on a good show. Uh, but give them the wallet. Try to be like, man, can I at least take my ID? I don't want you fucking like being able to like steal my identity and stuff. And like try to negotiate with them, but maybe not. Like talk to security people, people like Boris. He can give you much better information than me. But like put on a good show and give them the wallet and then let them be on their way. And they'll probably let you be on your way. 90% of the time, they just want the damn wallet. Walk on back to your hotel, and then when you get there, pull out that stick of deodorant that was in your back pocket, and there's all your money, and there's your actual identification, and there's your actual everything. All those kind of like covert ideas, but there's also like M, uh, what's called appendix carry pouches. So you can have these pouches that are made, they're little baggies that hook around a belt loop, and then when you put the belt through, they're now interlocked, and they're facing upside down. Put all your belongings that you don't want people to steal from you in that pocket, and then flip it on the inside of your pants, put your pants on, it's going to ride around your appendix on the front of your body, and it's going to be tucked away and slim enough that no one's going to notice it because the belt is also covering it, and there's all this kind of like simple solutions of not having to worry about someone finding all your stuff by them checking your pockets because it's up against your groin, especially a guy who's got a gut like me, it's going to be very hard for them to find that item right there. Not always the case. Some people are pretty good at searching. So be mindful of that too. So all those kinds of considerations can be put into for security. Because if you're traveling abroad, your everyday carry should be considered part of safety. Like how do I make sure I'm not going to get stuff stolen from me? How do I protect myself if I do get stuff stolen? How do I deal with the situation of being mugged in a country that's not my own? And now they might have my passport and my ID. How do I prevent that? 
All those kind of things have to be considered. We've talked about knives already, but uh, another kind of category to look at is multi-tools. So I mentioned like Leatherman, there's also Victorinox, uh, Gerber. There's a lot of companies now making multi-tools. And there's also very different types of multi-tools. You have the multi-tool plier, which is the most common one that most people know. There's the multi-tool knife, like a Swiss Army knife, uh, made by Venger or Wenger, as well as Victorinox and many other companies now. But there's also simple one-piece uh, uh, multi-tools that are things like the Night Eyes Doohickey is a great example. I love mine. It's got a little carabiner attached to the carabiner. It's like a plate of steel. And on that plate of steel, it's got the shape of a flathead screwdriver, a bottle opener, as well as a uh, multi-size of nuts. So it's got a, like a little wrench system on there as well for me to tighten down the nuts and bolts on things like a bicycle or part of a car or if I'm taking apart uh, one of my tools. I have that kind of gadget on me that's got a flathead screwdriver. It's got also a, a letter opener on one side. I've never found that to be very useful, but everything else works pretty nice. And I carry with, I've been carrying one of them since like 2013, I think. And I like them. I like them a lot. Uh, I, I put one of my wife's keychain. She uses it all the damn time. Uh, and that's another way to look at it. It's like an everyday carry is your keychain or your keys. One of my favorite gadgets out there is uh, the key smart or key safe. The concept behind them is it's almost like a feeler gauge set where you got the little aluminum handle or steel handle, and then you got different keys that could fold out. That's how you carry your keys if you don't want people to read the biting of your keys. So they can make copies of your house key or your car key is simply have them fold inside one of those feeler gauge style key. Uh, one brand is key smart. Uh, and you can also stick in other things. You can have your own lockpick set in there. You can have your own gadgets and doohickeys added into that thing. It's a really simple way to carry your keys. and Everything's all right there. You don't have a bunch of jingling and jangling in your pocket. There's not as much chaos. You get home and you can basically flip it out in the, in the light of your porch. You can gauge which key you need and stick it in, turn the knob, and you're in the house. Very simple. And all the time, no one, if you put it right there on your desk at work all day long beside your wallet and your cell phone, no one is going to be able to get an easy photo of the biting of your keys unless they go right up and you can clearly see them doing it. All right? And that's another thing. It's like thinking and considering with this stuff, always going back to like that tactical or covert solution kind of thinking. It's important. It's not because we're trying to be like James Bond or we're trying to be the criminal here. It's more we're trying to avoid people from doing things to us. So making it harder for people to steal your identity. Like, well, the reason I carry an RFID-proof wallet or shielded wallet. The reason I have certain, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Certain programs on my phone to protect me from identity theft. I have certain things set up in place, uh, certain barriers to those kinds of things. And the same thing with my keys. Does this make me sound like a paranoid person? Probably. But I've had a lot of friends that have had identity theft. A lot of friends. Several friends recently have had identity theft. And our identity is out there on the internet all the time. And it's scary. It is genuinely scary. So I'd rather be prepared and not scared. So I just make sure I do uh, my due diligence of protecting my identity, uh, my identity and my money. That's what I try to do to protect myself. Um, so yeah, multi-tools of every kind, whether it's the key fob system that I was talking about, the, uh, the, the doohickey from Night Eyes, or it's actually a key... Uh, the key smart system of carrying your keys and all your other little gadgets, or it's a multi-tool like a Leatherman. 
whatever it may be. Why do you carry those items? What items on there do you want? Uh, one of my friends, he's a former EOD bomb tech, um, UXO bomb tech, sorry, not EOD, uh, UXO bomb tech, unexploded ordnance bomb tech. Uh, and on his Leatherman Wave, he has a specific all punch tool that was installed on there so that he could set the proper primer in a block of C4 because that's part of his job. And so you can you can actually go onto Leatherman's website and find or go to aftermarket places and find tools that you can swap out in your Leatherman or your Gerber Pro tool or whatever it may be. You can swap out different tools and kind of mix match it until it's the right tool for your lifestyle. You may want a smaller blade or a larger blade on the knife. You may want a different kind of saw in there. You may want different kinds of awls or scissors or shears or whatever is in that multi-tool. Or you can just simply look up the right Swiss Army knife for you and find the right one that suits your lifestyle. That's kind of the beauty of the multi-tools. It's a multi-tool kit, right? It's a multi-tool kit. And I know some people are very much against the multi-tools. Uh, back when uh, MySpace was a thing, um, aging myself there, I remember there was a guy on there that would argue with anybody who said that they liked having multi-tool. And he would just say, I'd rather have a proper toolkit than that piece of junk. Cool. And are you going to carry an entire toolkit in your back pocket? Probably not. So here's an option for the multi-tool. Here's a reason for the multi-tool. Are all Leathermans, are all multi-tools created equal? No. But you can do your due diligence and research. Uh, I remember uh, Tim Thorne from Thorncrest Outfitters, who are based out of Bruce County where I grew up. Uh, he was really annoyed one day because he got himself a Leatherman, uh, one of the newer at the time Leathermans from the shop. And he was just kind of sitting there and it was bored. And there was one of those fake flowers in the vase in front of him and it had like one of those wire stems with the green paper wrap on it and he just pulled out the leatherman and he went to the wire cutters and snipped at it and the wire bent the edge of his wire cutter and he was livid rightfully so that was an expensive multi-tool to have such a soft temper on the wire cutters but <laughs> like that was due diligence of like i'm gonna test this out but you can also just research and check out and see what people are saying about tools. A lot of people out there on forums now. There's a lot of forums out there. You can kind of get drowning in them almost. But uh, you can find out any kind of uh, multi-tool you see online shopping. Uh, try to avoid Amazon when you can, folks. Like, I try to. Again, I don't want to sound like too much of an anti-capitalist, but try to shop local whenever you can. Uh, if they're doing uh, online shopping right now and all that kind of stuff for uh, curbside pickup, Check them out and then just go to different websites and check out reviews of that stuff. And check out, like, hey, they've got the Leatherman Wave, the Le Leatherman Surge, or the Gerber Pro Tool, or the Victorinox Victor uh, Swiss Tool. What, Which one should I pick up? And Google it. Search it on DuckDuckGo, whatever you want to use. Uh, go along and just search it and research it and study it and get the right multi-tool for your lifestyle. Get it to fit your lifestyle. I don't carry a lot of multi-tools except for the doohickey. And I guess my Ollie, my, my Benchmade Ollie is kind of a multi-tool. Um, no moving parts other than the blade, but nonetheless, it's still kind of a multi-tool. And beyond that, we have other ideas. Like we talked about keys. Uh, make sure you have duplicate keys, but also you have keys for everything you have in your whole house and have those duplicated as well elsewhere and have them in something that's a key safe, like a key smart system. Again, the feeler gauge kind of thing. That almost becomes like a jackknife full of keys. Uh, but also another thing to think about is a pen and paper. You'd be amazed 
how many times, even in modern day, with a phone that has a note option on it and texting and all that kind of stuff, that I would love to have a piece of paper with me to write something down, scribble it down really quickly with a pen. Uh, there's the space pens, the, the astronaut pens that can write upside down, and they've got the there's compact ones you can pick up, there's big ones you can pick up, all that kind of stuff. And there's write in the rain notebooks you can pick up, and these can all be combined to work into really good things. I like having notes that I can just like scribble out. Like let's say I'm waiting for somebody, and I know that my that their phone is dead. I know it, or they don't have phone reception, or they don't they didn't pay their phone bill. This happens a lot with a lot of my friends, uh, including me. Um, they are going to be meeting me at this spot, but I have to go to the bathroom. I might just write a note on a piece of write in the uh, write in the rain notepad that says going to the bathroom across the street back at X amount of time. Don't leave. I am here. And I'll just put that down on a bench and take a block, uh, like a pebble or a stone or a glass bottle and set it on top of that note and go use the bathroom. Come back and be like, hey, I got your note. Oh, thank God. It worked. Or it may be for when I'm trying to navigate. Or maybe I'm bored out of my mind. Or maybe I'm stressed or maybe there's an emergency. One of the number one things I've been taught by a lot of people from first aid instructors, wilderness first responders, survival instructors, military personnel, police officers if you come upon an emergency and you are going to be acting within that emergency to help people, whether it's as a first responder, as a first aider, as someone trying to settle the problems, as someone who's trying to evacuate people, you need a note taker on your team. You get to, let's say there's a car crash on the, on the county road near, your, uh, near where you're going to get to town. There's a car crash. Two cars collided. People are all over the place. People are injured. There's like seven cars backed up each way. You can pull up, get out, put on the orange vest, the safety vest you might have in your car, all that emergency stuff that we were talking about prior back on the Surviving the Holidays episode that we did with Matt Buyaki and Ryder the Adventure Guy. I miss you, Ryder. I miss you, Matt, too. I miss both of you. But anyways, um, get in all that emergency gear, that first aid equipment, everything. But one of the first things you should do is pass a notepad to someone that seems calm enough to do it. And be like, I need you to take notes and check the time on stuff. Because what's going to happen is a cop or a paramedic is going to show up and be like, what have you done here? What happened? And here's all the information, officer. Or here's all the information, doctor. Who, not doctor. Uh, Mr. EMT or Mrs. Paramedic or whoever may be your Ms. Uh, don't have to add pronouns to all this stuff. Why am I doing that? Anyways, to whoever the paramedic or officer or whoever may be, the first responder on scene, give them that information so that they know what has happened so far, what has transpired, what is known, what is unknown, uh, who this person is, who that person is, what kind of medical condition they may have been when you found them, all that kind of stuff for two reasons. First off, to help the responders and to help you. There's a lot of good Samaritan law out there to protect you, but you never know. So it's good to have notes taken as soon as you come upon the scene. If it's an emergency, take notes. Take as many notes as you can. Look at what police officers do. Police officers, as soon as they show up, and as soon as they leave, and as soon as they're sitting around, and as soon as they're in their car, they're always taking notes because they have to have that stuff on file all the time, right? So keep that in mind. If you are in an emergency, start acting like a cop in that perspective. Start taking notes, as many notes as you can. Have everything written down so you can keep your story straight when things come to court if it has to go that way. Again, I'm not a lawyer. Talk to a lawyer. Beyond there, watches are another thing. Like you can have the Garmin watches, uh, the Fitbits, all those kinds of gadgetry we talked about earlier. 
they're great because you can have a GPS unit, you can have a heart rate monitor, you can have even a few other gadgets like a barometer and even a weather, basically a weather system, like a weather uh, weather uh, forecasting system in your in your wrist. It's phenomenal. You have a tracking device to help figure out where you are. You have something to gauge how far you've gone, how exhausted you may be. It can gauge your sleep. All that kind of stuff is great. All those kinds of st- things are great. Just make sure you keep those things charged, okay? And there's a lot of different variances. I have a Garmin Fortrex. It's a giant <laughs> wrist-mounted pow- uh, wrist GPS unit. Very clunky, very blocky, very expensive. And then, like, three years later, out came the Garmin Phoenix, which is, like, this beautiful wristwatch, doubles as a Fitbit kind of system or a health monitor. At the same time, it's also a fairly decent GPS unit. And I'm like, ugh, should have just waited a couple years to buy this thing. I like my Fortrex, don't get me wrong, but I really like the slimmer profile, simple wristwatch kind of look of that Garmin Phoenix. Really nice stuff. The last thing I really want to mention is ideas to carry is maintenance. Right here in front of me, I have a Lansky sharpening tool. Uh, On my keychain, I carry a DMT uh, company uh, diamond plate for sharpening. Uh, I carry little mini screwdriver kits that fit on uh, multi-tool things like my Ollie. They can fit inside that hex driver so I can tighten the screw on my knife, tighten the screws on my tools, whatever it may be. Uh, fixed doors, whatever it may be that I come across. I will even carry sometimes in my pocket, I've got a little bottle of knife oil, which is just mineral oil right here. In case I'm going to be in really wet conditions, I'm carrying a carbon steel blade, or I know I'm going to be having carbon steel tools around me. I'm going to carry that little bottle of oil. I think it's, uh, just trying to read it. It is 0.4 fluid ounces. It is 12 milliliters, this little bottle of oil. And it is phenomenal. Uh, this one's made by Tops Knives. It's the HP 100 knife oil. You know, I use it on everything. It doesn't have to just be a knife. So there's a lot of different ways we can go with maintenance. We can go at looking at sharpening tools for keeping our knives and other tools sharp. We can look at little screwdriver kits, things that you can add on to your maintenance tools. There's even like wrist, uh, like uh, bracelets you can get that are all screwdriver hex heads for the Leatherman Wave and all that kind of stuff. So extra tools that can make your tools become more efficient. All that kind of stuff can be looked at. And all of it's part of research. I don't want to dive, like we've dived a good deal into gear on this rant of this part of the episode, but I haven't mentioned too many brand names. I mentioned some, like Benchmade, Letterman, all that stuff. Uh, but I'm trying to give you as many options out there. Like other, there's, there's a lot of good pocket knife companies. There's Cold Steel. There's, well, Gerber, I'm not a big fan of. A lot of people pick on Gerber. I don't want to pick on them. Sog, Spyderco, Benchmade. And the, the main thing I want to get, though, for most folks the number one thing that happens to a lot of people beyond simply getting the pocket ruck effect where they start packing everything they can, like they got 10, 15 pounds in their pockets. The other issue that happens is they feel like they got to spend a lot of money. They've got to buy the most expensive Benchmade knife. They've got to buy the most expensive flashlight. They got to buy the most expensive uh, cell phone, the most expensive wallet system, the most expensive power bank system, the most expensive lighters. You don't have to. And some of the coolest gear out there in the EDC world is affordable. One of my favorite lighters, I get at the dollar store every five months because it lasts five months. And it's a little jet torch. It's phenomenal. I get it at the dollar stores. and I love it. Uh, one of my favorite everyday carries for the longest time was an open L knife that cost me $9. 
I don't have one now because I keep giving them away because they're such a great knife. And everybody I meet that doesn't have one, I feel like they need one. I give it to them. You don't have to have an expensive knife. You don't have to have expensive flashlights. I mentioned Olight earlier. earlier. They're very affordable, extremely affordable. And there's other brands out there that are affordable too. I carried a long, for a long time the Bell Howell flashlights, the, their tactical light or tactile light or whatever it was called. Phenomenal flashlight. It did everything above and beyond what I needed. And then one day I lost it in the bottom of the lake when I flipped a canoe and it was in my cargo pocket and the cargo pocket wasn't buttoned closed. Like Yuko makes a very good, I think it was called the Leishi with Leishi, a very, very affordable little mini flashlight that turns into a very powerful little lantern just by pulling the handle and it telescopes out and becomes a lantern. Phenomenal little gadget. It doesn't cost that much. Right in the rain notebooks are cheap. Space pens like the, the NASA or what they're called, the, the astronaut pens, they're probably the most expensive ones. You can just carry a BIC, a BIC pen. It doesn't have to be a BIC. You can also just carry a BIC lighter. Like you can carry everything BIC if you want to. Uh, it, it doesn't have to be expensive. Nothing has to be expensive. You can have a very budget-oriented EDC and be very happy. And these are all like all the things I listed, whether it's the watches or the maintenance tools or water purification or uh, tactical or covert tools, all that kind of stuff. You can you don't have to carry all those things, and it can be other things you carry. Again, these are just options of things to consider, things that other people carry. And if you want to have better ideas of what to be carrying, check out Best Damn EDC on YouTube. I believe they also have a podcast. If they do even cooler. I'm going to, I'm going to subscribe to them today. I'm going to check that out right after this episode is done being recorded. Uh, but also check out on Instagram, hashtag my3edc. My number three EDC. My three everyday carry. Check it out and join in on the challenge. Every week we do it. Every single week. And it gives you a chance to experiment with what you got. Showcase three different items that people haven't thought about maybe. Or maybe you didn't think about it until that very moment and you just pull them out of your pocket. You did your pocket dump and looked at what you had and were like, oh, yeah, I carry that, that, and that a lot. I haven't talked about those. I wonder if anybody else carries those. And show them. So please join us with the My 3D, uh, My 3 EDC Challenge. Uh, please join us on all of our podcasts in the future, of course. Check out our Facebook and our Instagram pages, uh, Canadian Bushcraft. Pretty much everywhere you go, it's either at Canadian Bushcraft or at dot Canadian. Uh, it's either at Canadian Bushcraft or at Canadian dot Bushcraft. Check out our social media. And, of course, episodes like this would not have happened without people like Tim Foley, Renee Nolting, Martin Heidinger, Nikki Satira, and many, many, many amazing other people who have supported us over the many, 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 many months through Patreon. Our patrons help support this program, this project. They also help inspire us for new projects coming forward. And if you're a patron, check out the Patreon page. We have a POA, uh, uh, patrons-only get-to-decide uh, an episode for January up right now. Check it out. Take care, everybody.